You're listening to Docs Outside the Box, episode 39. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee Darko, the Doc Outside the Box, and welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. As usual, got a great one for you, but before we get to that point, got a couple of reviews that I want to talk to you about. This time, actually, I got to show some love to the folks who leave me reviews on the website, who leave comments at the bottom of the uh, podcast episode. So this one is from Javon or Giovan, I think. And this was on episode 37. And he or she said, this excellent podcast was exactly what I needed to hear. Keep up the great work, Dr. Darko. Giovanni or Javon, I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, but either way, thank you so much. This is a fist pump through the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Keep listening. I hope you stay subscribed and continue with the feedback. The next one is from Nina, and she made a comment on episode 36, and she says, great episode, learned a lot about tax savings and ways and reasons to transition from a W-2 to 1099 position. Thanks for sharing. Nina, once again, another fist pump through the podcast. Appreciate the comment. Appreciate the feedback. I hope you keep listening. I hope you subscribe. And as always, everyone, you could always leave me feedback. I think the best way to leave feedback is through Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. All you have to do is go to www.docs. OTB, that's D-O-C-S-O-T-B.com. And just click on any of the episodes. If you go to the bottom of the show notes, there are three links there where you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. But if you go to Apple Apple Podcasts, just click on that and you can leave a quick five-star review. It'll be greatly appreciated and it helps the show move up the rankings. So Thank you again. And as always, you know how you can reach me. You can reach me via various methods, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email. Just go to docsoutsidethebox.docsotb.com, and you can find all of those social media links there. And then one other thing I wanted to talk about, one other housekeeping thing is SpeakPipe. So if you've been to the website recently, you know that on the right-hand side of the screen, there is a little tab that says, ask me a question. And seriously, if you click on that tab, you can go to SpeakPipe and you can leave me a voicemail and it'll come directly to my email and I will hear your voicemail and you can ask me any question that you want and I'll answer it. So one thing that I want to do differently though, is I want to do some on the show coaching. If you guys are game to it. So I like to keep my ears to the streets I like to stay grounded, but I also know that a lot of you all, if you're listening to the show, you want to live outside the box, and although I bring really great guests to the show, 
I always make sure that I bring guests who are on their way up the arc, people who are very easy to be relatable to. But sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes the guests, even at this point, may even be at a point that some people can't relate to. And that's that's okay. That's fine. So I've decided that I'm going to meet you all halfway, those who feel that way. I'll meet you halfway, okay? If you're listening to this show and you want to live outside the box, but you're not sure exactly how to do so, and that could be via various ways, right? You can want to live outside the box financially from an insurance standpoint and how you do your life insurance, your disability insurance, From a career standpoint, should you go and become an independent contractor, live that locum's life, or should you take an employed position? Whatever it may be, hit me up on SpeakPipe, leave me a voice message, and leave me your information, and let's do a coaching session together on the show, okay? I may even put on another expert, so it'll be me, another expert, and you on the show. Don't worry, I'll keep all of your information anonymous, but I think this will be a fun different way to do things, something that I haven't done before and something that nobody else really is doing on podcasts. So if you're game, hit that button and let's do this. All right. So on to my next episode, my next great guest. So I want you all to imagine flying to every corner of the world on someone else's bank account. Right. Sounds pretty fly, right? So maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration for my next guest, but my next guest is Dr. Nadine White. And she pretty damn near comes close to that. Um, And whether she's traveling from Thailand to South Africa, Dr. White's experiences, her travel hacks, her guides, they've all been documented on her popular lifestyle blog, The Sophisticated Life. Now, she's a self-proclaimed blogger by day, physician by night. She's a pediatrician. But she's showing how she's living outside the box by showing her artistic side by blogging as well as traveling. She also performs a lot of reviews on anything that's travel-related from various hotel rooms, hotels in general, um, to even luggage. So outside of her blog, you can find a lot of her writings. You can find her writings in widely acclaimed media, including the Huffington Post, Essence Magazine, TravelZoo.com, TravelNoir.com, and TravelChannel.com. She's all over the place. And on this show, we're going to learn more about Dr. White, as well as her background, as well as how she started the blog. So things that I want you all to pick up on this show are why and how she started blogging, the different types of advertising networks that are out there for people like you who are interested in blogging and want to you know, kind of monetize your blog, the different types of and different areas of places that she likes to travel. And we also get to hear what the favorite place she likes to visit to. One thing that she never forgets when she travels, and of course with all of my guests, we're going to find out how she answers, hashtag, I'm not just a doc. So without further ado, I present Dr. Nadine White with The Sophisticated Life. Dr. Nadine White from The Sophisticated Life website, blog, travel extraordinaire, doctor what other slashes am i going to put after your name (laughs) (laughs) but thank you for being i'm good thanks for being on docs outside the box girl it's about time i got you on this show i know i'm so glad that we've connected oh yeah so glad i'm happy to talk to you are you in the united states because i gotta ask because you're all over the place Right. Yeah. Actually, I'm in the united states i'm actually at home in atlanta georgia that's my favorite Um, that's my favorite town oh really Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm here for a solid month. Well, not, well, I was here for a solid month. I'm off to Savannah on Monday for the Food and Wine Festival there. Um, but yeah, so I had a three and a half weeks at home. <laughs> I mean, is that, the longest is that the longest stretch you've had in a while? Because you're oftentimes you're working and then you're on the road and you're either out yeah. of in a different part of the United States. So, Right. I average probably once a month, even if it's even a road trip within the United States. So, you know, I'm usually doing something at least once a month. So it keeps me, it keeps me busy, keeps me busy, but, um, I love the balance of, I'm a pediatric hospitalist here in Atlanta and uh, nocturnist actually. So I like the combination. I work my shifts and then I'm off to destinations unknown or usually with me, it's known because I planned very far in advance. Okay. So, so Dr. <laughs> so White, before... Actually, before we get a little too into into the, the interview, let me ask then. Okay, so you say you're a nocturnist. You work or you live in yeah. Atlanta. You work in Atlanta. What medical school did you go to? What residency? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. So I'm um, actually, my family is Jamaican original, well, from Jamaica. And I lived there till I was 10 and then moved to New Jersey um, when I came to the United States. I always went back and forth. But so for medical school, I went to University of Virginia for college. And then for medical school, I went back to New Jersey. And it's now back to being Rutgers at the time. It was UMDNJ, Robert Wood Johnson Medical like School. Nine different letters um, back there. Yes, yes. So I spent time in New Brunswick and then in Camden for the second two years of medical school. And I always loved Washington, D.C., I think because I went to you know college near Washington, D.C. I had the desire to go back to that area. So I did my residency at Georgetown. And um, after pediatric residency, I stayed in the D.C. area for five years working for Kaiser Permanente as a pediatrician. Mm. Um, so that's kind of like my initial um, background and leading into medicine so to speak. So what happened afterwards? You know, afterwards you got, you know, you become a resident or excuse me, you're done with residency. You're in attending, yeah. you know, you're making the big bucks, you know, what, <laughs> what happened afterwards? Talk about that. Come on now. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. Well now, well, back then, I don't even know what salaries are now. I definitely wasn't big bucks, but you know, definitely comfortable, but I moved to Florida for a while because my mother retired there. I did not like Southeast Florida. Sorry for anybody who's from there. Um, so I practiced there and I was in private practice there for about two and a half years and uh, as I was in DC, but at the time it was just, it was becoming just too um, stressful. I was working six days a week, seeing 40 patients a day, working late nights, being on call. Um, back then there wasn't really a hospital, you know, pediatric hospital so to speak. So we saw patients in the office and in, uh, in the hospital. And so ironically, when I decided I was looking for other options in Florida, I came across the option to be a hospitalist. So my first job there as a hospitalist, I actually worked 24-hour shifts, and I did like eight 24-hour shifts a month. That's tough. Um, That's really tough. Yeah. You know, it was tough, but I actually liked it because it was really, it was two shifts a week, maybe. And sometimes if you're going on vacation, you may only do seven shifts in the month. But, you know, there was actually downtime. You got to take naps and, you know, after, you know, round during the day and then you may be up at night, but I actually enjoyed it because it, that was the first time I had flexibility in my schedule to do other things, you know, so you could get five days off or four days off and it wasn't that tough. Um, so then, and then you, I had another hospital. No, go ahead, please. I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no problem. I had another hospitalist job after that, that was more traditional where I was rounding during the day and taking call at night and working weekends, which I actually did not like as much. That was also in Florida. 
um, just because, again, there was less flexibility in terms of time off to do other things. Um, and in my job now, I moved to Atlanta for my current job, and I came here as a nocturnist, and so I worked 12-hour shifts um, at night. And that's also tough. <laughs> um, you know, it takes me a little while to recover after I have a stretch of nights. But again, it allows for the flexibility to have time off to go to a food and wine festival in Savannah next week. See what I'm saying? But like, how do you <laughs> see you just, just that just rolls off your mouth because like obviously you just go and you make it happen. That's amazing. So look, before we get into like your secondary life, like your amazing life, not to say that your life as a nocturnist is not amazing. But before we get into that, tell us about Nadine. Tell us about Nadine before you became a doctor. Who was she? Where are you from? Where like where you grew up? All that stuff. Yeah. So my family actually came to America. When, my parents came to America when they were pretty young, like in the 20s. And then after that, um, a lot of different family just followed. I was actually born in New York City, but I went back and forth between New York, Florida and Jamaica for the first 10 years. But I lived primarily in Jamaica and went to school there. Um, and then after I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, actually, we had a family friend who was our pediatrician in Jamaica. And so I actually used to spend a lot of time at her office after school and just kind of hanging out there, even if I didn't have an appointment. So she was my first influence. And then my grandmother wanted a doctor in the family. <laughs> and if you're familiar with West Indian families, then, you know, um, she kind of put that in my head over and over again, that I was going to not just be a doctor, but be a pediatrician. Mm. So, but you know, that was always my goal. That was always my focus. And so I went through school knowing that's what I was going to do. And thank goodness, once I actually started doing it, I loved it. You know, I loved medicine. I loved kids. Um, I thought about OBGYN for a little while in medical school, but kind of stuck through with pediatrics. And yeah, so that had always been, I went to college at 17, medical school at 21, did residency from 25 to 28. Did you take any break? You didn't take any breaks. I took no breaks and I actually skipped a grade when I moved from Jamaica. Oh, you to smarty art. Smarty <laughs> art. All right. Okay, so, Dr. Nadine, I see you. So, you know, it was like my entire life till, you know, I guess basically 30, because then back then, too, there wasn't really a lot of options. Like, you went to residency to become, I finished residency in 1999. So, I mean, everyone then just went into a private practice. You mm-hmm. know, there weren't all these options that there are now, which I think is great. Um, so yeah, I just went into full-time private practice after that. So literally, I have been in school or working my entire life. I have never taken a break in any way. So, and so, so, then, so you got this like side, like literally different identity where you are traveling all over the world. Obviously, that's the reason why you're on this show because you're a doc outside the box. But how did you right. get into that? Like, tell us about that. Because I know even when we did a pre-interview, you told us that, you know, your mother had a very large influence on you Absolutely. traveling and Take us back to that. Tell us about that. Yes. So like I said, my parents came to America when they were pretty young. um, And my we were fortunate enough that one of my aunt's uncles owned a travel agency in Brooklyn, New York. They were the first people in my family to kind of come here and do well. And so my mother kind of did some work with them. I was able to travel with them all around the world as a travel agent. And back then, that was like a big deal. You got really great deals <laughs> to travel all over the world as a travel agent and go to different conferences. So she went on big trips at least twice a year. Um, and I mean, everywhere from Kenya to Budapest to Australia. And so I grew up and she would come home and she'd bring these, you know, dolls from all these different countries. And she would tell me all about the countries. My mom was extreme. Like people, when people tell me, oh, you're smart, you're a doctor. I'm like, no, no. My mother was extremely 
smart. She spoke like three languages and mm, just wow. really was, was very smart. One of those people that could answer anything on Jeopardy. Um, and so she was very fascinated with history and culture. And she visited, I think, um, three places prior to them having the Olympics. Like she was in Athens when there were buildings for that, you know, for the games um, to come back there. So, you know, it was very exciting for me that she would come back with all these, you know, amazing cultural gifts and stories and historical things from all these places. And when I was 15, I went on my first big trip because she arranged for me to go with her friends to um, Hawaii. Um, And it was just amazing, amazing. Because before then, I had traveled around America a lot and to Jamaica, obviously, but, but that was like a really big deal to go that far away. And it just it just inspired me to want to see all the things that she talked about. And I got to go to some places with her. Like we went to uh, we went back to Hawaii together. We went to Paris together. And so it was great to experience things with her. But then everywhere that she's told me about, I wanted to go and see for myself. Um, so she yeah, she was definitely my travel inspiration. And I kind of made a, a decision when I finished residency to visit at least one new place every year. And that could be in America or internationally. And so initially, it was a big deal to just get to one new place every year. And then, um, obviously, as I you know, started paying off my loans and having a little bit um, more room financially, I started going to like several new places um, every year. And it's really exciting for me to go. I went to Thailand this year for the first time, and that was one of the places my mom loved, 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 and raved about. And it's really a great feeling to actually see these places in person that she always talked about. Um, so, yeah, so I started, I would say I, I really started traveling regularly after residency. So initially it was just trips to Cancun or, um, you know, different islands. I went on cruises and then I started taking bigger trips to Greece and Spain. Um, I did a bunch of two trips to Italy and then I've been to Africa. So it just kind of, it's escalated. I guess over the years in terms of how far I've gone and what I've seen. When, um, when, when did you start to realize that, huh, I need to start writing about this. I need to start documenting all these trips. Right. So again, so actually this also goes back to my mom in a sense. Um, I lived in Florida partly because she was there and she passed away in 2011 and I was living in Florida at the that. time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and working and I was single and I just, I needed something else to do, you know, like I needed something else to occupy my time. And I have, I've been fortunate. Like my, my girlfriends all love all the same things that I do going to museums, going to food and wine festivals. They love, you know, love wine regions and travel all the time. So initially the blog was an idea that I came up with where my friends would all contribute. I didn't even know what a blog was, to be honest with you. I started a website that was going to be like an online magazine where quarterly we would update it just kind of like a, you know, a magazine with articles on what everybody was doing in different places or, you know, traveling, music, art, culture, everything. And Initially, it started out that way. But of course, you know, it's tough. Everybody's busy with their own lives. And it was hard to get people to contribute articles, even if, you know, quarterly. Um, And during that time, I started networking a little bit on Facebook and got introduced to some of the blogging support groups. And I realized, Which is huge. Oh, what I, yeah, and I and back then, this was probably when I moved to Atlanta in 2012, I kind of rebranded and redid the site in 2013. And I realized, wait a minute, so that I, what I'm doing is actually like blogging, except I should just focus on what I want to do and not have it be it was initially like maybe five articles quarterly. And one was from me and four were from my friends. Um, 
and so actually one of my original friends that started, you know, with me, she's still a regular guest contributor. She's the one I went to Thailand with and she wrote one of the Thailand articles, but I realized I really needed to take ownership of it and focus on my brand. And I learned all of that basically during uh, Facebook groups. And then, so I redid the site um, it was always called The Sophisticated Life, but it just became basically just like a weekly blog. And I write, you know, the 98% of the articles <laughs> on it. Um, and so, yeah, so it started really as just this outlet, something fun and exciting to do. I have a friend who is in the design business and she came up with the logo we had different names and another friend who was on her urgent care center is the one who actually introduced me to her web developer who developed the site and um again i did i the way that i did it back then was much harder than how people now do it in starting a blog so it's it was definitely tougher back then oh, probably um, back then you needed to know the language and all those different things now it's just drag drag and drop now <laughs> exactly no and i knew nothing <laughs> about the technology and you know, hosting and getting my own host. I had to transfer everything. So it was definitely a process. And even now I have people who help me with the technical part, but my, my passion has always been about writing travel stories and sharing great pictures. And as I started doing it, I realized there was such a need because people really want to know what places are like. They think it's, it's scary. It's too far. It's too expensive. You know, how do they treat black people there? What is the food like? Am I going to find anything to eat? And so all these questions that I started getting, I realized there was really a need for people to see not just what the place was like, but just logistics of how to get there. You know, um, so I started even writing planning guides, travel planning guides, like, okay, if you want to go to this place, this is what you need to know. When do you go? What's the weather like? How much does it cost? Um, what's the food like? And so, yeah, it really, it, it, it kind of between my readers and followers and what I like to write about, it just kind of um, developed over the past few years into what it is now. So it's kind of just taken, um, <laughs> it's just kind of gone on its own. It's kind of exploded because you're all over the place now. Like you're on Huffington oh, Post. You're on yes, all you. these different digital media. Come on out, girl. You got to you gotta brag a little <laughs> bit about yourself now. Come on. Yeah, I only have I the best on the show, right? Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been fortunate. I, I am a freelance contributor for Huffington Post. I've been on Travel Channel and Travel Zoo and um, MSN. I contributed to this year. I've contributed to Essence. Um I was in Essence magazine two summers ago. Well, yeah, last summer of 2016. So it's been really exciting. I was what, in Sheen magazine this year. What, so um, when 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 did you um, let, let's hear about that transition? Then when did you? Okay, you go on Facebook. You learn about how to blog. You rebrand. You change the way in which you're writing. When did you go from that point to realizing like, oh snap, like people are expecting me to write on occasion, and people really enjoy what I'm doing. And now like Essence is calling. Huffington Post is it wants something. Like, tell us about that transition. Yeah. So, you know, and I will give, this is my number one advice to anybody who wants to pursue this is, you know, it really goes back to your brand. And so you shouldn't really create a fake brand. So for instance, um, when I, I actually had to really think about the sophisticated life because I thought people were going to think, oh, she's stuck up. She thinks she's bougie, blah, blah, blah. But sophisticated actually means to be altered by education and experience. And I love that definition because that to me is what travel does for me. Like I, the more I learn, the more I experience, the more educated I feel I am. And so um, I really write about all the things I do anyway. So for instance, if there was absolutely no blog, what would Nadine be doing? 
all the same things. You'd be traveling. And so right. I would be traveling. I would be eating at nice restaurants. I'd be going to Napa Valley. I'd be, you know, so everything about my brand and what I write about is me. It's my life. And so ultimately I'm, um, I'm a travel food and wine blogger, but that could all be summed up by being a lifestyle blogger. Cause I really do blog about my lifestyle. And so I only write about things or accept things that fit into my brand and fit into things that I would do normally in my life. And so I, I say that to people because people think it's easy to jump on different bandwagons. Like, oh, I want to travel, so I'm going to be a travel blogger. I wanna, right, because you know people you know, are listening to this show and they're like, how do yeah. I, I want to be just like Dr. White. How do I do this? So tell right, us about no, that. Yeah, because you're people, about to talk about that. Yeah, Yeah, you have to be authentic. And I think, so going, leading from that into how I've been approached by different brands. I've worked with Marriott. I just worked with the St. Regis. I've worked with a lot of major um, brands that, but they all, I think, see that I'm authentic and what I write about. Um, and I have a passion about, you know, with what I'm writing about. And so I think that's part of why people will then approach you is when they see that obviously your blog has to look good. The writing has to be good. The pictures have to be good. But beyond that, they have to really believe that you're speaking in your own voice and that you're being authentic in what you're sharing to your readers and your followers. And I think that's what's happened. So in terms of a lot of the opportunities, Sometimes people just find you, honestly, and I have no idea how people just find you online. I mean, obviously, now when you Google certain things, my blog and my name will come up. Um, and so people sometimes will just approach you because they found you, they found your blog, they love it. But most of the times when you're starting out, you join influence and networks. So there's networks that have certain requirements in terms of followers and readership, but they will connect you with brands. They'll connect you with wine brands, with food brands, with hotels that will want to work with you based on having, you know, a commonality. Um, so that's how I first started getting quote unquote, like say even paying gigs was joining these influence and networks that connected you to, to different brands and the brands will, let's say, pay you to, you know, just post something on social media or they'll pay you more if you do a blog review about a product. Um, and then beyond is, that, the other, is it easy uh -huh. to get, is it easy to get into these influencer uh, well, networks? So there's some that will take new bloggers. And so you don't really have to have a certain following or, um, you know, so you, all bloggers have, have to have Google analytics. And so that shows you how many views you get per month, for instance. Um, so some of them have higher criteria. So, the, high, the more followers you get, the more readers you get, then you obviously can get into the bigger networks and they're the ones that pay the most, just like ads on your site. So I'm part of an ad network and you have to have a certain number of readers and you know to be able to get into that ad network. But then once you're in and they put their ads on your site, then you can make money that way. Um, and again, for me, it's never been about the money, but you know, blogging is, is there is money involved with maintaining, maintaining the site and you know, social media and technology support and all those things. So that's where the uh, monetization comes in for me. But for people who really, really want to make a lot of money um, on blogs, they have to realize that you have to have the readership. You have to have the, like, for instance, you'll see an application and it'll say you have to have at least 5,000 Twitter followers or 10,000 Instagram followers. So a lot Damn. of these have. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, a lot man. of them will have requirements that you have to meet in order for them to even work with you. That being said, again, there's some like beginner networks that will pay or they'll give you free things for you to write about it. And when I first started, I'll be honest, I did that. Somebody mailed me something for free that I may like, like a travel bag. And I wrote a blog post about it. 
now the networks I'm in, they don't expect you to do anything like that for free. They'll send you the product, but you'll also get paid to write about it. Mm, so hopefully that kind of makes sense. And then so humble beginnings, you also, right? Right, exactly. So it just kind of, and then beyond that, then the other aspect is pitching and people who are new to blogging probably will hear this over and over again. So you can get your own opportunities by just pitching to brands, pitching to hotels, pitching to airlines. You know, you have to have what we call a media kit, which is like a CV for doctors. And it lists all the people that you've worked with. It lists um, what you're offering. It lists, um, you know, what your readership is, what your followers are like. So for instance, if you go into my Google analytics, you'll see that most of my followers are women. Most of them are in their thirties. Most of them are in America. So if a brand is trying to reach that demographic, then then that works, you know, for them, you know, then they'll want to work with me. Um, and so you put all of that in your media kit and you can send that to different people that you personally want to work with. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but obviously it's great if you make a pitch to something or someone and then they're like, Oh yeah, great. We'd love to work with you. That that's basically the different people always ask me, how do you make money blogging? And it's by ads. It's by something called affiliate links. And in terms of people, um, doing that where you may write up travel gift guide and you'll have links in there to your Amazon store. So if people buy stuff from your store, they'll make a little money. Um, and then you'll make a lot a little money. And then it's by being part of these influencer networks and then also by pitching for me, because again, monetization is not a huge part of why it's not a huge part of why I do this at all. It's for the experiences. And so if somebody says, Nadine, we want you to come to, um, you know, Santa Barbara, which I went to last year and we love to host you. And so we'll give you tours, place to stay. And that's something I would do anyway. Then I will do all of that and write about it and give my honest review. But they don't have to pay me because that triple loan is paying. <laughs> so you ever you ever you ever felt pressure to write something like really good just because like they flew you out and, you know, they wind and dine you? Right. So I have never I've had the opposite happen recently where I got something for free and I the 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 agreement was for me to write a review and I didn't think it was great. And so mm. that, that was tough, you know? And so, yeah, you have to deal with that where if something isn't, you know, I would never want to be dishonest with my readers, you know, and promote something that I didn't enjoy myself or didn't meet my standards. So I'm, I get, I'm picky about the things that I agree to, to do. I, I'm with who I agree to work with or places I agree to go to, but that's only happened once or twice. And then usually I'll, make some kind of adjustment with the post and say, okay, these are the, this is how to ha you'll have a good experience with these tips. And I put information in there that I didn't know ahead of time that would have made my experience better. You know, so I share that with my readers. Um, I've gone places that, you know, I may have been hosted in a hotel that I never, I wouldn't really stay in myself probably. And so <laughs> I'll talk to them about that and say, well, I'll, put where I stay, but I won't do a, a whole hotel review on a place that doesn't fit my brand that I wouldn't have stayed in on my own, if that makes sense. Um, but you know, I'll link and say, this is where I stayed while I was experiencing all these, all these other wonderful things in this place. So yeah, you learn a lot of that as you go. Um, and you def I've definitely had people help me along the way, other bloggers that had attained success. And so yeah, that has definitely, it, it's definitely networking is a huge part of it. And um, having great support groups is a great part of it. And 
obviously, depending on what you want to do. For me, as a hospitalist, it's allowed me the flexibility to do a lot of these things that if I had a, you know, nine to five, five days a week, you know, um, every every week, then I wouldn't be able to do all of these things. So I'm I'm very grateful that I have the flexibility to do all these things. What's, um, what's your most my favorite place? Would probably prefer if I stayed home. <laughs> stayed home again? a little more. I said my husband would probably prefer if we stayed home a little, little bit more than we do. But um, yeah, he he's gotten a bit used to to things being a little hectic. <laughs> well, what's the most? Uh, what's your favorite place to visit? You know, so one of my things, and I'm trying to do this um, going forward, is like, so we, I just went to Paris for the second time. It was my husband's first time. I, I tend to go new places because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to see that. I want to do that. And I don't do a lot of repeat places. And I'm trying to change that because I'm also trying to do a little bit more, more slow travel. So we were in Paris for eight nights. And I have to say, being there for the second time, I loved it even more than the first time. I mean, just absolutely loved it. Um and I've been to South Africa twice, and that's another place of mine that's just... just I heard it's a long flight. It is, but from Atlanta, you can take Delta, goes right to Johannesburg. So it's like 15 hours going and 16 coming back, so it's long. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's so worth it because the, the country... Red hoses and Lovenox, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The country is just so huge, and actually the different cities in South Africa are all very different and very interesting. And so even though I've been twice, it's... It's a place that has a lot to explore, and it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And um, like I said, I went to Thailand for the first time this year, and that that was amazing. I mean, why, I, why is everybody going to Thailand? Because I've been following a lot of this, you know, that whole quote unquote like digital nomads, and um, a lot of them there. A yes. lot of people who are traveling all over the world, they always say Thailand is the best place to be. What is up with Thailand? Tell us about it. You know, I will say, you know, so they call it the land of smiles, and. Um, I got there and I could not believe the hospitality of the people in Thailand. I mean, I didn't, to the point where we heard somebody, we were there for like 10 days. And by the eighth day, we heard like yelling on the street. We knew immediately that it wasn't someone Thai, like, because they are so humble and hospitable and they're always smiling and sweet. So that was one of the things. I mean, the people were just so warm. I love, love, love all the people that I met there. Um, the other thing, it's the cheapest place I've ever been. I thought South Africa was cheap until I went to Thailand to the point where I felt bad when somebody told me the cost and I did the calculation in my head and I'm like, wait, that's only like 50 cents. Like, how can I pay someone 50 cents for something? Mm. So it's incredibly cheap. And, and it's, again, it's, it's gorgeous. And we went to three cities. So Bangkok is definitely a city and I'm a city girl. So I, I love Bangkok. Um, you know, you have the rooftop bars and lots of Michelin star restaurants and just a lot of temples, the palaces. I, I loved it. But then you have Chiang Mai, which is in the Northern area, which was much more like, um, um, not a forest, but very, you know, just lush, just gardens everywhere. And you're up mm. in the and it's cooler and very like neighborhoody. Like you just felt like you were in someone's neighborhood back home, you know, even though you were in Thailand. Um, so that looked and felt completely different. And the food in all these areas is also different. They have their own little special types of cuisine, even though it's, you know, still all delicious. And then we went to Phuket, which all the, you know, we went to Fifi Islands. And so that was also very different in terms of, um, you know, just big, huge mountainous islands and crystal blue water. And it, it, it was amazing. I ate, you know, people were asking me what I ate when I was there. I said from breakfast, lunch, dinner, 
I ate Thai food all day, mm. every day. Never got sick of it. Never got sick. And everything was just delicious and cheap. And yeah, so those would probably be, and I wrote a whole blog post on the 10 reasons why I love Thailand. And um, I'll link to that in the show notes too. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it's, it's popular for, we met a lot of digital nomads in Chiang Mai. And again, I think they love it because it, it just feels like you're you're in the neighborhood. I mean, you we I met up with one of my friends who's a digital nomad there, and she took us around, and we just walked around her neighborhood, sat outside, and ate. And there's a lot of outdoor cafes in Chiang Mai. Uh, walked down to the mall, and I mean, I felt safe. I know people have said different things, but I felt safe the entire time I was there. We took tuk tuks and, and did Uber. You know, jumped in an Uber <laughs> to go places. It's so, uh, no, it was a really, really great experience. So, so yeah, right so speak, now. Speaking of dangerous, because speaking of dangerous, I wanted to get on it because I know you say obviously you felt very safe in, in Thailand. What's the most dangerous place you ever been to in the world? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I don't consider any place I've been to really very how, dangerous. How about, I mean, I how would about say this? It, would you ever go? Is there a place that you would never go back to? <laughs> how about that? Um, not that I can think of offhand. Really? I will tell people like, yeah, no, there's nowhere that I've been that I, that I've hated. Um, but I will tell people that Johannesburg, uh, you know, you have to be careful. I mean, and I only say that to say that, um, we, I was fortunate to be with my husband's, uh, we went there for his job. And so we got to spend a lot lot of time with locals and we were going to just go walking around, you know, downtown Johannesburg and, um, they got a little nervous. (laughs) <laughs> and mm. they were like, let's send some locals with you. Um, and I, you know, and I did some tours with some locals there. And, you know, th- they say they don't feel like it's any different from what they've heard in America. But then he told me a story about his, his parents' house just got, you know, they broke into his parents' house with guns and stole everything. And so I would definitely say you should be just like anywhere. You need to be careful. I don't just go wandering out by myself at night anywhere, you know, Yeah. But I have definitely heard stories while I've been there and then since coming home um, as to things that have happened to people there. Right now, there people are telling you to be extra careful, like if you land in the airport there, especially at night, to not just jump in an Uber from the airport to your hotel. So that's someplace I think you have to be a little bit more cautious. And if you know anybody there, it was probably even more helpful for them to take you around Um and pick you up from the airport and drop you off and things like that. So that's only a place, but there's really nowhere I've been that I would never go back to. I mean, mm. I've even been to Cuba and I loved Cuba. I felt mm. very safe in Cuba. Uh, we spent a week there touring the island and it was amazing. Um, there have been places I've been a little bit disappointed, but nowhere that I felt unsafe enough that I wouldn't go back to. I thought I'd be able to cause some controversy on this show, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very much a very, you know, I, I'm so excited when I'm in a new place and I just want to meet the people and eat the food. And, you know, so I'm so caught up with all of that, that I don't focus in on, you know, what I've heard about, you know, I try and have my own experience in other words. Okay. Well, Dr. White, by well, Dr. White, we're getting towards the end of the interview. So it's time for some quick, fast questions where okay. I ask you any type of question. You tell me the first thing that comes off of your dome. Don't think too much about it. You ready to do this? Okay. All right. What's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast? 
Oh, that's easy. Just to live your best life and do all the things that you're passionate about. Don't let anybody put you in a box. <laughs> no that's what I'm intended. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Actually, people... pun, pun is intended, girl. <laughs> you know, people tell me, and especially my family and friends didn't get it at first. They're like, but you're a doctor. Like, why are you doing this blog thing? Well, why not? Like, do anything and everything that you have the ability to do that you're passionate about. So that would be my my number one thing I would want people to get out of this. Love that answer. Love it. Give us a quick tip on how to get an upgrade either on a flight or on a hotel because I know, I know you've been upgraded. So hook us up. <laughs> well, you know, with hotels, I always tell people it never hurts to just ask. Always email. Um, granted, for blogging, you're in a different sphere. So you're you're emailing the marketing department, the PR department to work with them and get upgrades in that way. But just for anyone else, a layperson, I just always say just ask. And then, never hurts to ask ahead of time when you're checking in. You just never know. Um, for airlines, that's a little bit tougher. I mean, obviously, if you have mileage plans, then you can leverage that. Um, and when, again, like when the flight's taking off, when it's, you know, they have, have available seats, it never hurts to really ask. But, you know, for airlines, it's a bit tougher. I always tell people to try and get have some kind of um, mileage account with your home airline or a credit card or something that you can use to um, you know, use for upgrades. So that's what I would recommend probably for airlines. Okay. So you work in a hospital, you're busy taking care of uh, children and sometimes even sick children. And then you go and you travel all over the country as well as all over the world. And then now you're blogging and you have, obviously it's a business. Like how are you able to balance everything? Give us a life hack that you're using to become more productive. Let me tell you my notes in my iPhone. People may think that's funny because I know there's a lot of fancy schedulers, <laughs> but my iPhone notes, I would like, I don't know what I would do without that. So any single thing that popped into my mind, that could be from a blog idea. Um, I'll write it down with, you know, a little list of things that I come up with. Um, I just grab it all the time. I make notes about things. I have obviously a calendar where I have all the things on my schedule of events. Cause I, Besides my work shifts that are irregular every week, I have events that I go to every week. So I definitely have to keep a good calendar in terms of not, you know, making sure nothing conflicts. But um, in terms of ideas, in terms of deadlines, I highly depend on my iPhone notes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> mm, love it. OK, so before you go on a trip, yeah. what's the one thing that you always have to take with you? Oh, man, besides my phone. Well, obviously, phone passport comes to mind. Um you know, there's nothing, my phone now is just like everything. Cause even like guidebooks and everything I download on my phone. So, mm, right, um, right. you know, obviously I, there have been times I've been packing. I'm like, wait, what about the passport? And more recently I always bring like a little, um, almost like a little medical kit. So if you're on, I always tell people, if you're on prescription medications, if you're on on use over the counter things a lot, um, a little first aid kit, it's always helpful to have that with you. Because when you're in foreign countries, they may not have the exact same drug that you take, um, even if it's just your allergy pill. So, and then I've been in countries where the pharmacies, you know, they're closed on Saturdays. <laughs> they're mm. closed after 2 or 3 p.m. So now I actually, I have a whole drawer of things that I just automatically pack that whole drawer when I'm traveling. And it has my headsets, my blanket, my scarf. But I've now did a little medical kit um, and so I'll just bring all that with us so that, you know, you catch a cold when you're abroad, you know, you, I'll have like, you know, little over the counter pills for a cold in there. So just a little basic things like that, 
that it's just good to have. I remember we were in South Africa and I got a really, really bad cold and the pharmacies were cold, were closed, but the hotel was amazing because they were, had somebody deliver cold medicine to the hotel. What? And, in South Africa, I swear. So, I mean, they do have services there that we don't really have here, but we couldn't find a pharmacy that was open and they called somewhere and they delivered um, the medicine that night. So I've learned from those experiences to just kind of bring my own of, of um, everything in that kit. So, um, okay. yeah, I'm All actually right. working on the ultimate guide for international travel because things that people forget to do, like calling their credit card companies um, if you're going to be gone for long, you can even call your cable company and get that, you know, postponed. So you're not paying for time that you're not here. So that's one of my goals to work on. That will be out by the end of the year. And that'll be something like a PDF or a printable um, list that people can just use every time they're traveling to check off and make sure they're packing everything and doing everything they need to before they leave. Uh, that's a great idea because I am the number one person who forgets everything at home. So, <laughs> it's so <laughs> you know? easy to do. So yeah. easy to do. Like you mentioned, even you know the um, the socks when you're traveling, you know compression socks for long flights. People forget to do that. Um, so yeah, I and you know again when the medical. I'm, I'm still a doctor, you know, so there's definitely things medical that translate back into the blog and travel. And so I want to really share all that um, with people coming up. Hmm. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself as a pre-med? Wow. You know, as a pre-med, maybe not so much that I can think of as pre-med, but... Um, as a med I, student? Yeah. So I tell people Let's now, like, you know, yeah, as a medical student, you know, deciding on whatever specialty you're, you want to do and you can picture yourself practicing 20 25 years from now and not just something that you're going to make, quote unquote, lots of money because we know how that goes. You know, you just like with the blog, I mean, with medicine, I chose pediatrics because I know that even at four in the morning, I would not get sick of seeing a baby. So, you know, I really try and stress that to medical students to pick a career that if you really love medicine, you plan to practice for a long time, really pick something that you love, even though it's not, we know pediatrics, family practice, you know, you don't make as much as a specialist, but if you want to enjoy what you do every day, pick something that you love to do. And now there's so many options. So, I mean, everything from clinical to administrative um, to even non-clinical, there's just so many options now for, for, for doctors out there. And I think it's amazing. And so, again, if you get stuck in a rut and you don't like what you're doing, now you can, you know, explore all these different options and not just be in a miserable job year after year. Um, so, yeah, so that's my advice to the newbies coming up. Love it. Love it. Now, yeah. I ask this question to all my guests. You're included. You're up next. So, Dr. White, <laughs> finish this sentence. I'm not just a doc. I'm a... I'm a hustler, entrepreneur, wife, friend, traveler, foodie, and... Uh, Keep yeah. going. <laughs> you you putting all the slashes afterwards. Keep going. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's that's a lot. I'm a bon vivant. And, um, yeah, everything, um, everything. So everything I want to be is what I, what I do. So love no it. limits. Love it. Hey, I love the answer. <laughs> Dr. Nadine White, this was an amazing interview. I think the audience has learned a lot about you. You are definitely a doc outside the box and the way in which you're performing and the way in which you're living your life is, is truly awe inspiring. And it really is an inspiration, you know, to a lot of docs out there who are looking to do the same thing. And also at the same time, you know, I'm sure if your mom was still alive, she'd be extremely proud of what you're doing right oh, now, being able to so do much. medicine as well as travel. So, you know, big ups to I you. 
it's been amazing to watch your your arc uh, in um, in blogging and in traveling. I look to what you do because I'd like to do something similar. Not maybe oh, not within great. the travel world, but maybe obviously within podcasting. So um, right. I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing. I want to acknowledge that you're doing amazing things, and I'd love to have you on the show. Maybe sometime in the future, we could talk about some amazing other places that you've been to. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do and showcasing what I believe in, that you can be a doc outside the box. You can do anything you want to do. And so um, I appreciate you having me. That really was a great episode. I learned a ton from that episode, and I now know how to get me possibly a free hotel room or maybe even an upgrade. Thank you, Dr. White. (laughs) Much appreciated. But for those who enjoyed this podcast, please, once again, show your love. Leave me some feedback or leave an Apple podcast five-star review. And then also share this or tweet this out to someone who you know will benefit from this. So look, I'm going to catch you guys on the next episode. But before I jet, remember one thing. We only got one life. Let's make it count and live outside the box. Peace.